welcome to Season 2, Episode 34 of the IntelliCast Podcast. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me, per usual, is my co-host, Brian Lamar. Hey, Adam. It's been a while. Too long. I feel like we're just, like, too regimented right now. Yeah. Schedules. Yeah. So today, we're throwing an extra curveball. And that curveball's <laughs> name is Rory Deneen. Hello. Rory's here. Um... Rory's here because she is celebrating her birthday this week, and this is her birthday present. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> my birthday's in July, but this is kind of, it's kind of close to my potential half birthday. November and July! Really <laughs> uh, as always, IntelliCast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can find us on the internet. Um, you can email us IntelliCast at emi-rs.com. On Twitter, it's EMI underscore research, IntelliCast1. My own personal Twitter is Adam Jolly. Rory, you have a Twitter. What is it? Research underscore Rory. Is that why you're here? To try to get up these Twitter followers? Probably. I love it. I think I uh, went up two or three followers this week, so it's it's been a big deal. It's really good. <laughs> uh, you can also leave us a voicemail or text us at our toll-free number. That's 513-401-5463 or 513-401-KIND. KIND is the new cool. KIND. You like that? I wrote that out. I just spent oh. 45 seconds trying to come up with words for our phone number. Okay. Show prep. Show prep. Um, let's jump into market research news. First piece of news, Metro Protocol, the up-and-coming uh, blockchain startup, adds community functionality to its MSR app. This is really cool, right? This is like a, a, a usage of blockchain community, which yes. I think is awesome. Um, we love the Measure Protocol guys, very close with all of them. Brian, what are your thoughts on this? Um, big fan of it. I have their app, and you know they've been kind of going through some beta testing over the last few months. I think it has a lot of potential. I think in 2020 will be the year of the blockchain app. Really? Those are my first prediction. Well, this isn't a predictions Sweet. episode, but I think it's cool capabilities. We all struggle with communities as an industry, and so early on in their launch, they're going after communities. I think that's a great thing. I'd be really excited if next year was the year of blockchain app, uh, considering that I feel like I died on a blockchain cross last year with as much as I was like talking about it. Yeah. I told everyone that blockchain was coming. Yeah. Guess who's, guess what isn't coming? It was, it was coming. We were just off a little bit. Bleeding edge. Yeah. Rory, what do you think about blockchain? I'm excited. I feel like it's the innovation we've been talking about and it's the innovation we need. Right. Um, and it's really exciting, especially uh, coming in this space where I feel like there there's a need for it um, as, a, as an industry. Be the change you want to see. Uh, next. For- by, by the way, it's a video gaming community. Oh, for real? Yeah. So you can get gamers and like hardcore gamers. Not what like type, what type of games? Not, not gamers like you play on an app. Okay. Like, but games like you have a console. Yes, yeah, so you have a console. Or you play hardcore on your gamers. CPU. Now part of a community, so they'll leverage insights. They can target them. Maybe yeah. give some kind of reward type system for it. Threat. That's yeah, like cool. you'll get some Threat. PlayStation viewpoints. I don't I know, love that, right? man. This all works out pretty well. Yeah, it's um, another world. <laughs> next piece of market research news is uh, we're coming from Twitter. So Twitter is a company that does market research. They do surveys. Um, Twitter is now banning all political ads. This is, uh, they announced this last week, about 10 days before um, some states had major elections. Uh, I'm going to go to Rory first. Rory, you use Twitter a lot, right? Research underscore Rory. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that this is really interesting. I think the timing of it is really important to look at. Um, 
and it's it's a different kind of move you know there's a lot of money in political ads especially online these days because people are trying to reach millennials and gen z um, as they come into the age of voting and this is how you reach them. Um, people don't have cable anymore, so it's not necessarily television. People are on Twitter to get their news. Yeah. Um, and if you are not learning about your candidates there through their outlets, um, it's it's going to be a whole nother world. I, I 100% agree. Brian, how about this? Does it seem like it's Twitter standing up for something and not compromising for the dollar? Well, I think you should, you should do one of two things. And I think that Facebook and Twitter both each did one of those things. Either ban them all together or you just allow anything like just this is just free speech and whoever wants to spend the money can put something on there, which is the Facebook position. And Twitter's like, nope, this is a this is a not a place where you can see a bunch of ads. By the way, I used to see until last week, I saw so many political ads. Really? Oh, my gosh. Like I can tell that I was a target for political ads for some reason. My demo um, tons of political ads. So I think that it's an interesting move. As, as Rory mentioned, there's a lot of money to be made, but I think this is not really, a, this is more of a kind of a social consciousness kind of move to separate itself from Facebook a little bit. I agree. And I think it is more about separating itself from Facebook than it is like what some of the anti-compromise they could have for not allowing political ads, um, which is weird because I feel like a lot of times Twitter is like darker than Facebook. Like it's Absolutely. just it's more of like, like more Twitter anonymous. is basically a living comments section. And you know? yeah. what I don't know is how – so they're, they're, they're banning kind of the political ads. But what about near political ads or what about certain causes or what about if I just go in there and start just putting my own political ads up? I'm not paying for it. I'm just doing it on my own feed. So I'm just curious how this kind of plays out because I think there's – it's a little bit of a gray area once you for sure think it through. I'm with you. Um, let's do a CRC recap. This would be me. Oh. Um, so two weeks ago, I went to the Corporate Researchers Conference put on by the Insights Association. It was in Orlando, Florida. Um, it was, I don't know, 15 days is what it felt like. Oh. Um, <laughs> it was it was really cool. And so I'll give this perspective from it. So coming from a vendor part where we are a sample supplier and kind of a fieldwork supplier for things, it was really difficult for me. Um, because for us, about 70 to 80% of all of our clients are market research firms. Um, with the CRC, they pitch themselves as being somewhere where a lot of brands come. Um, and it's more of like a the vendor, when you think of there, is going to be like those market research firms. And so the research firms that were there uh, were oftentimes in their salespeople. Um, it wasn't like the day-to-day. It wasn't a project manager. It wasn't kind of the procurement type people that we work with. And so it was a constant like walking this tightrope between like setting up my clients for success and then talking to somebody that I really never talked to, like a sales rep from, you know, uh, Burke or from, you know, whoever else market research firm out there. And so it was really difficult at the same time. Like it's very interesting to me to see this kind of uh, push mentality of what is important and what is growing in market research um, from the client side. I mean, push downwards. I think a lot of times for me, like when you go to a company, go to somewhere like a sample con or IIX, it's put on the vendors mm-hmm. to make those choices. So that was the biggest thing that I got from CRC. But like um, you guys see some blogs and stuff. What are your thoughts about these type of conferences? <laughs> um, I'm dying. Adam, also, I should Adam's know that I am dying and I'm still doing the podcast. It's dedication. Um, oh. I'll go I'll go first, Rory. I think this, the corporate researchers conference is very interesting. I would love to know kind of what – because – like I go to IAX, I've been to TMRE, I've been to other conferences where a lot of the corporate researchers, they, they're they inundated with salespeople from suppliers. Yeah. And um, I'm curious how they feel about 
you know, they, they still allow a supplier's end of the room, right? We can pay sure. our way in for most of the days, not all the days. Um, and then I, I wish I, I wish they would do something. Maybe they do where I could see the presentations or someone would have like a conference summary of here's the theme of what corporate researchers yeah. are saying, because most of us don't get to go to this conference. And if, if like what you said is this is going top down, it's not reaching most of the people that oh, for sure. should make the changes. You know, one of the things that I thought was cool about this, um, it is kind of a TMRE, like a diet TMRE. Yeah. And that is smaller than TMRE. Obviously it's a lot less expensive yeah. and it's a lot less commercial than TMRE. So a lot of times like yeah. when a research firm is speaking at TMRE, they're basically saying like, here's what we do. We're the best. All your brands that are out there come work with us. Where every, I want to say almost every presentation that was at CRC was a brand and a research firm kind of giving a case study of something they did that yeah. worked. Right. And then the questions were all about, well, what would you guys have done? How would you have changed this? How would, you know, are there other opportunities for you? And so at the end of every presentation you had, it wasn't just vendors lining up to talk to the brand. It was brands lining up to talk to the vendor and, and it was like a, there was always long lines afterwards trying to talk to everybody, uh, not doing a pitch as much as trying to learn. And yeah. that was interesting to me. That was like a difference from what I see from TMRE. It's definitely yes. different than IIEX and that it yeah. wasn't a lot of cutting edge or what's next. Yeah. It was more about here's what we did that we got right. It's case rather studies. Than, yeah, it was more case studies. Um, I think this would be great. I would love to see um, – Twofold. I think it's really good with like two great audiences. One would be the higher up. So like C-level yes. leadership would be awesome to go to this just so they can see what other people are doing and kind of see where their place is. And then the other one would be, I think, brand new people to market research industry, like more entry level so they can learn from the case studies yeah. and kind of learn how to do things and kind of spark. To me, it was a big like spark innovation, not here's all the innovation out there, which is different than IIX, right? Yeah. So the, did it... Does it seem like collaborative? Are these corporate researchers, which many of them are competitors, right. is it more collaborative? And like we're trying to grow how we do insights and deliver it did. answers to business questions. It right? felt very collaborative. Cool. Um, I will say, like the uh, the vendor hall was super weird. Yeah, but um, it was not a lot of people in there. I felt like it wasn't a lot of. I didn't see a lot of people from brands walking up and down the aisles. Yeah, um, and it felt it was a huge room. It kind of felt empty. A lot of times, except for like when they were giving out free alcohol, <laughs> uh, which is always a good time. Uh, but it was it was pretty good. Uh, I, I recommend CRC. It is definitely a different feel. Uh, you know, one of the best things was like you feel such a, a close community of the Insects Association itself. Yeah. Right. And like they want you to succeed. And so all the board members from Insects Association were very visible. They're there to answer any questions like all the main uh, keynote speakers were talking, like trying to help people and giving like examples. I don't know. Sometimes I walk away from 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 any type of conference feeling like the dumbest person in the room because I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Or I'm not doing as well what everyone else is doing. And I didn't get that. I felt like huh. there's more opportunities for me to learn at a, com yeah. at a conference like this. Well, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned Insights Association. I love these conferences. I love what they've done the past few years with kind of rebranding the merger um, and maintaining a lot of these more traditional conferences that they've held, they've held for a while. This is a great conference and, you know, there's a CEO summit coming up pretty soon. And so ho hopefully people go to that as well. That's awesome. Uh, let's move on. I think I'm going to skip best worst this week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it another time though. Do you okay. want to get involved, Roy? You really, were you looking forward to this? 
I kind of was. I did See, some hurt. research. Okay, let's do it. We'll do best worst, and we'll skip the uh, album reveal. How's that? We're okay. gonna do a Kanye West album reveal. We'll cut that out. We'll go to best worst burner. Oh, oh no, don't spoil it. So our best worst this week. If you have been listening, this is a segment where we pick one topic and we try to decide if it is the best or it is the worst. Um, this week, our topic comes straight from the news. Mitt Romney was discovered to have a burner account. It was, what was it, Roy? Pierre Delecto. Okay. <laughs> Great name. Let's, yeah. let's just get started with that. Super good. Yeah. Um, and so we started talking like, is it good or is it bad to have a burner account? On this one, uh, Brian, you will be taking the stance that burner accounts are the worst. Yes. I will be taking the stance that it is the best. Okay. Rory Pepper. How's that? For sure. Awesome. Brian, you want to get started with why burner accounts are the worst? Yeah, so I think burner accounts are the worst basically because you're up to no good if you have a burner account. Okay. It's a fake. You are trying to either like your own stuff or you're trying to create havoc or you're doing something undesirable. Um, you're up to basically you're up to no good if you have a burner account. That's how I feel about it. That's it? For now. But okay. I'll retort maybe you'll say something and I'll be like, I'll lose my I mind. believe that burner accounts are the best. <laughs> Because they take into account the feelings of society. Oh, and I feel like if we're going to say they're the worst, I think we really then that turns the finger back on to society and how it might be the worst. And so if we didn't shame people that they shouldn't give their opinion, if we didn't shame people that or if we weren't constantly attacking people and and constantly judging and grading people on performance, especially people of higher account like Mr. Pierre Delecto, <laughs> uh, then they wouldn't have to have burner accounts. Like if we were kinder, if if we you know if we really believe that our phone number here is five one three four zero one kind, then we wouldn't have to have burner accounts, and that we could just be like this open sighted and constantly trying to learn and get better, and not trying to hide from things to where we felt like we had to give some kind of censorship to what our true feelings were. Well, that's why burner accounts are the best. No, I'm surprised. Go ahead, Lori. <laughs> I was rough. I've done a lot of research on burner accounts in the last couple of days. I really wanted to make sure that I really understood the point of them and the purpose. And when found out, people like um, the NFL commissioner's wife um, or even uh, Jimmy Fallon, most of the time it's a defense mechanism. Like they're looking to defend themselves. Yeah. Um, and when people are talking crap about them, their PR person is probably like, hey, don't say anything. Keep your phone down. And they're like, you know what? I do want to say something. Don't read I'm just your replies. not going to yeah. be me. Yeah. Well, I will say the best thing about the burner accounts are when people get found out about the burner accounts, like yeah. Carlos Danger and yeah. Pierre, what, what's Pierre's? Electo. Pierre Electo, which is great. I will say that. that for me personally, I love it. But again, People are up to no good with this, and they're not. I don't think they have altruistic reasons for doing this. So yeah, I think burner accounts in the yeah burner accounts in the thing is that you're trying to accomplish something that society is telling you is wrong or you feel guilt on. Yes. So, like, if you had a finsta, yes. like a fake Instagram or something, yeah. or you're carrying on some kind of uh, taboo relationship if, through a burner account, that I believe yeah. may not be the best. If Mitt Romney hates Donald Trump enough to create a fake account and like stuff and tweet stuff, he should just do it publicly. I feel. He's a public representative, for God's sake. We should know this. We are taxes. Yeah, but I, I don't. I don't think you should give up. Like as a public representative, that doesn't give you the basic right to have some kind of shelter and shade from the guilt that is constantly <laughs> raining down on you by the people that may or may not vote for you. All right, that was I, don't, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Rory, what, final what thoughts on burner accounts? What's your burner account name? I don't have a burner account. Rory Renine. 
<laughs> That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I don't have a burner account. I've uh, stayed clear of that. I think that Research yeah. Rory needs to have a lot more followers before it's even thought about as necessary. Um, but I think overall, they are interesting to learn about. Do I think they are the best? I don't know if they're the best, but I don't think they're the worst either. I think they're more entertainment than anything. Yeah, I would also, like, my final thoughts on burner accounts is to not have Facebook or Instagram and maybe limit your Twitter interactions. That's my final thoughts. Okay. Just don't have social media. Yeah. Like, if you can't handle the heat, if you can't stand, like, if you can't handle the repercussions of things, maybe just bow out. Agreed. Let's so close say, with that. You don't have to have an Instagram. Right? You don't have to have Facebook or Twitter. I, I don't know. Anyway, um, let's go into our Mount Rushmore of the week. So a lot of different categories by producer Brian this week. I'm pretty sure we've done some of these already, uh, which is good. But uh, we are going to do top four regional foods. And so when we think of regional foods, think about like um, it's kind of travel time of the year. It's holiday season. A lot of people are traveling both short and long distances, sometimes regionally, sometimes internationally, sometimes um, continentally. As Rory, you just did a continental flight. No, you didn't. You flew to New York. New York is not another continent. Seems like it. Feels like it. Um, but a lot of times you're looking at different regional foods. So here in the Cincinnati area, you know, we have Cincinnati chili that we eat on spaghetti with cheese. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh, they have the Primanti Brothers sandwich where they put French fries on. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of regional foods. And so everybody, three-way Mount Rushmore here, starting with Brian. We'll start with yours. What is your first best regional food? My first one, I used to I used to live in Rochester, New York. I used to drive back and forth through New York City. And halfway there, I'd meet my girlfriend at the time. In Binghamton, New York. Oh. In Binghamton, New York, they have Speedies. Go Bearcats, which, right? Binghamton Bearcats? Um, I don't know. Isn't that where, um, what's... Tony Kornheiser. Tony Kornheiser went to school. Right. SUNY Binghamton? Is that SUNY Binghamton, Rory? You're from... SUNY Binghamton, okay. yes. So, so a Speedy is just basically like, kind of like skewers of marinated meat. Awesome. So if you're in Binghamton, New York, which I'm sure tons of our listeners are there all the time, get some get some Speedies. That's my first. There are the Barrington Bearcats. Rory, what is your first uh, Mount Rushmore regional food? Um, so mine is not necessarily um, as specific as yours, but oh. whenever I go home, the first thing, I'm from New York, so the first thing I have to get is a New York slice of pizza. Yep. Oh, that's, that's just, specific. That's good. Yeah. It's not a specific brand, just yeah. really any oh, pizza, but New York pizza, number yeah. one. Wow. Way to step out of their comfort zone there, Rory. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for me, my number one is the uh, lemon pepper wings in Atlanta. Oh, really? Uh, my favorite style. They're dry most of the time. You can't get them wet, too. I don't really like them wet. Yeah. Um, but I would say specifically from JR Crickets or the local in Atlanta, lemon pepper wings. I love them. Awesome. I'm going to go with Burgoo from Keeneland Racecourse. Oh, I had Burgoo. Yeah. And if you're not from Kentucky, like Adam and I are, um, Burgoo, I guess it's like a stew that originated in Kentucky. It's obviously not the wealthiest state in the in the Union, in the in the um, United States. What do we call it? The- we call them the United States. <laughs> okay. It'll work. <laughs> not the wealthiest. And used to make a stew out of like whatever meat you had, right? Like right. it could be rabbit. It could be anything. So, but Burgoo is, you can still get it. The best place, though, I think is a Keeneland Racecourse. I 100% agree. I had Burgoo. I will replace it off of mine uh, oh. with something else. Rory, what do you have? My next one is a lot of, in my childhood, we'd go up to Wellfleet over in Massachusetts, oh. and they have the best oysters. They do. They really do. They do. Wellfleet has the best oysters. I agree with you. Huh. 
man, good job. That was a good comeback, Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I think pizza's still the best, though. Sorry. My number two is uh, I'm replacing burgoo here with the white barbecue sauce available in northern Alabama. Oh, that's so good. So freaking good. I don't know what's in it. I think it's just lard and peppers of different kinds, but it's amazing. Don't let it sit out. It'll firm up. It'll, uh, it'll slow you down. The white barbecue sauce in Alabama. Good. Go ahead. My next one is be a cheese curd, which I think um, Wisconsin, Minnesota-ish. Yeah. I think you could even go across the border to international Canada and get some cheese curds. But cheese curds, I mean, how is this not a, like a national food item? Right. I'm Why like can't it. you go to like Frisch's or Wendy's and get some cheese curds? I love it. Rory, what's next? I didn't know that this was a thing that was <laughs> regional. I thought this was worldwide. But a Nathan's hot dog? Is Why that- is all your stuff New York? Massachusetts is that's where uh, it is. Yeah. Oh god, it's a different state. Okay, sorry for snapping. <laughs> uh, my next one, I realize all of mine have been in the south, so I'm going uh, north to South Canada, otherwise known as Minnesota. Yes, I'm oh. going to say the Juicy Lucy cheeseburger. Oh, famous in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. It's basically a cheeseburger that they put cheese inside of, to where you cut it or open it up. It, oh, that's it's good. like a gusher, but for hamburgers. Oh, that's good. Which is like the worst way I could describe a cheeseburger ever. But that's what it is. It's pretty good. Um, first of all, I have a question for Rory. Yeah. Is it, is it really a Nathan's Famous Hot Dog? Is it better than any hot dog you just got off the street of New York? Because I don't know if it is. Or any bar outside of any bar at 3 in the morning. I feel like any hot dog is just as good. Yeah. I can tell you there is nothing like a dirty water hot dog in New <laughs> okay. York City. Okay. So I think that Nathan's are good, but yeah. I, th- I think there is nothing like being really, really hungry in New York City <laughs> and just finding the nearest hot dog cart yep. and just being okay with eating off of the street. Absolutely. There's something incredible about that. So you do make a great okay. point. Maybe it's not Nathan's. Maybe it's, it's just... New York, by buying a hot dog in New York off the street, regardless of brand, is awesome. But didn't I read... I saw somewhere the other day that the... A hot dog cart outside of Central Park in New York. It has a $270,000 like, food license. I don't know where I saw that. Was that wow. with you? I don't know, but I recently saw that too. That's very interesting. We're reading the newspaper together. <laughs> <laughs> My last one is, this is probably lame, so go ahead and attack me, but it's going to be it's just sweet tea. Which is mm, southern style sweet tea, which has to be properly made. You cannot get it outside of the South unless you go find a Cracker Barrel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's really hard to find north of Kentucky. Roy, last one. I'm gonna go to New York again. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. I what I've learned from this is I really got to get out more. Um, I've really never been past Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, but a Bialy, similar to a bagel. But it's not quite a bagel, but it is so good. Where, where, where can you find a Bialy? Uh, you can find it anywhere bagels are sold, um, but mainly in New York. Okay. I love it. Uh, my last one is uh, barbecued shrimp in New Orleans. Uh, typically served head and tail on in a big like cast iron skillet, and they give you like a big baguette to dip into the sauces and stuff. Probably best. I used to always go to Dini's when I was a kid with my dad. Yeah. A lot of different locations in New Orleans area. And that's my number four regional food. How was that? Pretty good? That was good. I love it. Um, let's jump into our interview. Is that cool? Yes, let's do that. We have an interview this week with Joel Bacall. Joel comes from the Silk Initiative. He is in China. Um, I love this interview. It's going to be really good here and kind of a different perspective from somebody in China that's gotten into the market research and the branding type world does a lot of design type thinking as well. Um, 
So let's jump into it. Joel Bacall from the Silk Initiative. Joining us now is Joel Bacall, Associate Director of the Silk Initiative. Joel, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, and uh, I guess we'll get started. This is kind of the question we ask everyone on the podcast, and hopefully that it sparks someone looking to get in the industry or someone that is in the industry. Um, how did you get your start in market research? Yeah, so um, I worked for a company called uh, Record Bank Easer back in the UK, um, better known as Durex. <laughs> so <laughs> quite a few funny stories there. Yeah. Um, so a budding young market researcher um, helping Durex Insights team. Um, you get to learn everything pretty quickly and <laughs> get some interesting stories under your belt. So I worked with the Records Insights team um, looking after, um, you know, healthcare um, home care, those kind of brands with um, the help of a really awesome innovation team. So that was me. Um, lots of categories, lots of great teams and um, a bit of design, a bit of marketing. Um, so that was kind of my my start out really, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and so then from there you moved to Silk Initiative? Yeah, so um, I moved to China around five years ago. So um, Many of my projects at Reckitt Benkiza, um, especially towards the end, you know, we had like a Brazilian and then an Indian project then a Chinese project. Um, and I'd always uh, been interested in China and I could see kind of the need for the research industry there. So moved over around five years ago, maybe five and a half. And uh, yeah, I work at the Silk Initiative now. Um, we are the food and beverage branding people. Uh, we're based in Shanghai. Um, we help guys really try and um, stay future-proofed um, throughout brand, Good. packaging, yeah. marketing mix, um, all of that kind of stuff. Great. And, and then, so you're doing food and beverage, branding, that type of things in China. Uh, and I love what you said, future-proof. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, <laughs> we're, we're lucky enough to work with uh, a load of big brands. Um, the only problem with those guys, they move quite slowly, right? So right. if you innovate something really cool or if you come up with a really great flavor, um, if you come up with a cool packaging format or something like that, by the time they've put it through their MPD process, it's probably already too late. So right. um, a big thing at the Silk Initiative, um, we have a, a range of ways to try and keep on top of this, or a few cool tools and technologies to... Um, try and help teams innovate faster and try and actually predict some of the trends that are uh, up and coming. Um, so yeah, that's a big part of our work. And, and you're a partner there. Um, what, what is kind of your role? People ask me like as president, like what do I do at the company? And sometimes I'm like, <laughs> nothing and everything at the same time. Um, so what, are you, what is your role at Silk Initiative? Yes, yeah, similar answer. So um, funny story, I, I joined the company in, in its second week. Um, so I was the second employee and um, we've grown quite a lot over the last five years. And now here I am doing a bit of everything. It could be yeah. um, concept development, content analysis, project management, people management, business development, recruitment, accounting, HR, <laughs> marketing, yeah. things like this podcast, training and yeah, a little bit of everything, <laughs> basically. Spending a lot of plates. I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. Uh, well, yeah. you know, working for a company that does a lot of consulting practices, uh, I know market research can kind of thread its way through a lot of times. So how do you work in market research into your consultant? 
Yeah, I um, I think it's really important to combine the two, right? Uh, research is pretty useless without consulting, I would say. Um, but on the other hand, consulting is uh, not very credible without data. Um, so we have a really cool team. We have, you know, the strategy guys, the insights guys. We have some designers too, but that's another story. But um, sure. those things in isolation are not... Um, enough to build confidence they're not enough to <laughs> inspire ideas um so really the i think the magic comes um when you can present data and give a viewpoint on that or you can apply some of your food and beverage expertise or your particular um skill set to a number you know research by itself is just a load of zeros and ones um so it's yeah. really really important to get out there and look at your industry and just to have a viewpoint on it um and uh, yeah, that's why it's so important to combine the two, I think. No, that's great to hear. Uh, I think so many times when we work with thinking about stateside, some of the big consultancies here, it's like market research is almost like a, a necessary evil for them. Mm. <laughs> you know, like we have to come up with some kind of quantitative, but it it is a threat and, it, and you do need to combine the two. So it's great to hear how you're doing that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we do every week on the podcast is we do a, a research rant of the week. And most of the time people choose the topic and they go off, you know, something that um, sometimes it's like a certain type of research. Sometimes it's like some kind of methodology or something fad. And, and you have a research rant of the week. Uh, tell us what your rant is this week. <laughs> well, you kind of alluded to it earlier and you, you mentioned the big consultancies and a necessary evil. Um, I think there's this idea in the industry that research is dead. And my rants this week, research is not dead <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, I think it has changed. Um, I think conventional research probably is dead, but you don't need to be conventional. You know, there's far more data streams out there um, that can drive sales or generate traffic in a flash. Sure, the old research and quants and that necessary evil. Um, may have moved on but research itself i think is alive more than ever we just have so many tools to play with and you can do it so much faster and get to such a, a much better place i believe so there's my rant research is not dead <laughs> um it's alive and kicking um so no no necessary evils uh in my opinion so that's my that's my rant there no, Joel, that's, that's a great rant. I agree with it. I think that one of the challenges that we as an industry face is that we've pigeonholed just the name of our industry, which is kind of ridiculous, at marketing research, when really we're in insights, and insights certainly is expanding, right? You, you allude to it there that insights is way beyond just collecting a survey data. It's taking lots of forms of data and turning that into some sort of action from our clients. And... Um, I think that we have a marketing issue to kind of expand on your rant. We have a marketing issue in marketing <laughs> research. And so I do, I love your, um, I love your rant. Yeah, I completely agree that a positioning issue, right? And uh, yes. I, I mentioned earlier, research is just zeros and ones. Um, but you know, what, what are people going to do? Make stuff up. You need research <laughs> and it's better than ever. Um, yeah. Ranting, ranting, ranted there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we want to know a little bit more about you personally, Joel. Uh, so this is our section called the four P's. We come up with uh, four different sections and can try to ask you to know a little bit more. The first one's always playlist. Um, so what are the last three songs or artists that you've listened to? 
Yeah, um, so Mumford and Sons is a popular midweek um, band. Uh, I don't know if you guys know them over there, British band, but maybe yeah. you do, maybe you don't. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if you know um, a group called Rufus Do Sol. Rufus Do Sol, love those. That's probably a more weekend playlist. And then um, my friends in the UK will be laughing at this. The old MK <laughs> really to get those uh, get that heart beating when you're pedaling on the bicycle uh, yeah. around town in Shanghai and dodging traffic. So a bit of a mix there for you. Um, but yeah. No, it's a great like mix. Spotify. Yeah. That's good. Joel, I am. Joel, I'm a huge Mumford & Sons fan and um, big fans of theirs. Um, are you familiar with Avet Brothers? They're, I've considered them to be like the American version of Mumford & Sons. Uh, yeah, so my, I I listen to them a lot to kind of top up my Britishness while I'm in China. But actually, all yep. my Chinese friends say, "Oh, it sounds like um, oh, what do you yeah, like blues or rock or they're like yeah. sounds so American." Like, no, definitely not. But yeah, they're very British. No issues with that. Yeah, as long as um, as long as it's good music, you know. Right. Okay. Uh, next P is pages. So, what is a book you would recommend that people listening should read? Uh I'm sure most of the people have already read this who listen to this podcast. Really cliche, um, but positioning Al Al Rees, um, yeah. I think. Um, well, they've just translated it into Chinese for one, which is really interesting. Um, so, be very interested to see linguistically how that comes out through my colleagues' <laughs> storytelling. Um, but I mean, I mean, a big theme of this uh, podcast to me, you know, research is not dead, data, technology, blah blah blah. But sometimes it's really important to just look back at some of the old school stuff and make things simpler and just try and find that positioning in someone's mind and just goes back to those basics. Um, there's some really good tools in there. And um, we had a new guy starting four or five weeks ago and uh, that was definitely the first book I recommended. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm interested in the Chinese translation. <laughs> that's going to be, that'll be something. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking down the, uh, cultural barriers there we'll um, see <laughs> see how that comes out yeah <laughs> right. uh, the next P is perform so what is something that people don't really know about you do you have a, a hidden talent uh, modesty yeah we're working on this with a, a few members of my team but I, I kind of alluded to this a bit earlier too you know simplicity um, sometimes you know, point of difference mapping um, that kind of space, you know, if, if you're just trying to find a, a point of difference in the market, um, the ability to make a very, very complex and loud market really, really simple. Um, it's hard to find people that do that. So beyond my modesty, I would say something I, I really, really love doing in a really crowded market or a really commoditized market is hunting around, digging around and just finding that one tiny claim around i don't know protein or calcium or the length of grass for a cow or something um that hook just to kind of make people excited and milk again or whatever you're working on so uh, beyond uh my modesty as i say um that is the type of work i i, I really love doing oh, that's that's awesome um our last one is people. And this is, we kind of call this a Mount Rushmore, which is a very American thing to somebody to <laughs> tell a Brit living in China. Uh, but it's usually, it's a top four of something. And it's anything that you want it to be people play. So, so what is your top four? I have gone with um, top four most popular apps with Chinese consumers. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully a bit, a bit of China in the podcast there. 
so what do you have? What are your top four apps that, that are among Chinese consumers? Yeah, so, um, you know, people do uh, the, the surveys and screeners and it, it's not a quantitative view. This, this is just very um, anecdotally amongst my peer and network yeah. and friend group. Um, my, my first one I've gone for a bit of a wild card here is YouTube. You know, you, you might have heard um, about the great Chinese firewall and you'll know from personal experience trying to connect with me, it can be quite difficult to yeah, yeah. Um, use different websites, things like that. So YouTube is actually banned here. But everybody I know here um, in my network um, uses it without getting people into trouble. I'll leave it there. But sure, it's, it's yeah. amazing the, the, the kind of things and, you know, people, um, sports is a big one and, uh, you know, people baking things and making smoothies and checking out other cool places in the world and working out and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's quite surprising how much YouTube pops off in my life. Wow. That's the first That's one. Good. That's good. Second one, I'd go with, um, Nike, you know, they're absolutely yeah. on fire here. Um, especially with, uh, females, like it, it's, uh, really, really awesome what they're doing and what they've done to like sports and nutrition and fitness. And, um, you know, it's uh, really cool to see more and more Chinese athletes being classed all over the city and just the uh, the more more and more runners appearing every week. I, I think they're doing an amazing job. Um, so, yeah, another another top brand there. Sorry, not app, <laughs> but no, yeah, that, it, yeah. You, you get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the two more, um, something, uh, another brand, sorry, that I, I think really important here, uh, something impacted our work quite a lot, brand Australia. Um tourism and food and lifestyle and blue skies and kangaroos all of that uh, I'm, I, you, you think about the uk and even the states um and we do consumer research all the time of course on countries of origin um and the uk is just seen as old and you know maybe cars or something like that tea um quite industrial and the us have really got like this sporty positioning right. um so try and doing food and beverage marketing um, from the US doesn't really work. Um, but Australia, put Australia on anything, it, it's going to help you. <laughs> I mean, the proximity, proximity is one thing. So there's a ton of tourists down there. People are traveling up and down all the time, probably more so than the States. Right. Um, and the food is just seen as so much fresher and the pollution and the proximity is actually getting really close. So brand Australia. Um, yeah, really, really interesting in, in China. Um, and then I go for the last one. I'm sure you guys won't know it. A little brand called White Rabbit. No, yeah, um, I saw this on the list yeah. and I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did speak to some of my Chinese colleagues before coming on today and we, we did want to put in a really Chinese brand. So White Rabbit is a Shanghainese brand, I believe. Um, and it's uh, essentially a candy. Um, but they're around 100 years old and just a really strong um visual hammer as you say you know like a, just a white rabbit really really recognizable at shelf really pops through um they have tried to adapt a lot recently there's been a ton of innovation so now they're stretching into i think perfumes and lipsticks or anything just to go viral so the idea that a candy is now yeah. um a lip gloss um it's strange but it, yeah. it cuts through and younger consumers um love the brand very nostalgic so for the fourth brand on the list that I wanted to go with something a bit more local. So yeah, there you have awesome. White Rabbit. Oh, that's great. What a great list. We have, Halloween. we have Halloween here in the States tomorrow. I wish I could give out some White Rabbit to the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Joel. We appreciate it. Uh, it was awesome to learn. Uh, it's kind of a different perspective. I think a lot of times we have 
market research firms on, nonetheless, like United States based market mm-hmm. research firms. And it's so much data based and to know like, like you were saying, kind of that bridging between research and all the different ways you can find data now and use it in consulting. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. So we appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me guys. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much, Joel. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See you. Hey, thank you to Joel Bacall for joining us on the interview all the way from China. I know we have a lot of listeners in China, or at least we used to in the past. Do you have, do you have listeners from China on your podcast, Rory? Well, we are talking about U.S. politics, so I hope so. Yeah. But maybe not. Hmm. Well, hopefully that if you're in China, you can listen to that. Or if you're in the States, you can listen to the Joel Bacall interview. Um, Adam had to run out of here. So Rory and I have full creative control over the rest of the podcast. And there's a rumor that on your podcast, which um, I honestly haven't really listened to because Thanks. Sorry. I don't listen to ours either. Sorry. On poll party. Isn't that the name of poll party? Yeah, it's a, it's a big old poll party. Okay. And you do a special quiz each week, is that right? And we're yes, going to do one. Every single week, Adam and I take a quiz from BuzzFeed or wherever we may find one on the internet. And uh, it tells us a little bit something about our personality or what kind of, you know, candy we are. And we're going to stick with that sort of Halloween theme here, even though it's post-Halloween. And we're going to figure out what our trick-or-treater personality is. So I took mine already, but now we're going to take yours. Um, And I was an activist, um, which is an interesting thing to be on Halloween as a trick-or-treater. But now we're going to jump in and find out what kind of uh, trick-or-treater you are. Okay. I have to be honest with you. When we were going to do this before, I wasn't going to participate and I was going to rail on this. But since Adam's not here, I guess I'll participate. <laughs> just, just, I'll, I'll try. You're going to love it at okay. the end. Here we go. I'm on the link. Um, I pick. What am I okay. Doing? Well, so the first, you have to pick a costume. You can pick between Bob Ross, Wonder Woman, an avocado, a witch, a hamburger, or a Ghostbuster. Do I tell you what I pick or I just Yeah, pick you got to tell us. I'm picking this avocado thing. Avocado, healthy. Yes, that's, that's um, me. <laughs> <laughs> the next, you have to pick a gummy treat, not as healthy. Yeah. So you're going to do Sour Bite Crawlers, Sour Patch Kids, Harboro Gummy Bears, Swedish Fish, which is the EMI office favorite, Gummy Sharks, or these mini burger gummy Swedish Fish. Ah, any of my favorite again. Are you Are you playing along with me? So I already took it. I already took it. Um, The next question is, what's your chocolate treat? You got a Hershey's bar, a Kit Kat bar, a Crunch bar, and a Milky Way, an Almond Joy, or a Baby Ruth? I picked a Hershey bar, just a standard Hershey bar. Simple. I like it. Um, Now you're going to pick a hard candy. Werther's Original, Nerds, Skittles, Jolly Ranchers, Lifesaver Hard Candy, the one with the flavors, not the uh, minty ones, and then the Warheads, the sour kind. When I do these things, I try to figure out what they're trying to get at. I do know if you pick a Werther's Original, it's going to classify me as someone at least 75 years old, right? And and if I'm a nerd, I'm probably 30-ish, right? I know what they're trying to do here, so I'm going to try to gamify the system. Can I do that? This is why researchers are not allowed to take surveys. Yeah, so I'm Um, not picking where there's a race. No, you're supposed to go with with an honest answer. Which hard candy? If you were given a box of all of these, which one would you look for? Lifesaver is fine. (laughs) 
Now you have to pick out a chewy candy. You can pick between Laffy Taffy, Starburst, Airheads, Tootsie Rolls, Now End Leaders, or High Chews. I don't even know what High Chews are. High Chews? Like the Tootsie Roll? Oh, the High Chew over there. Yeah. I'm not picking that. I'm going Laffy Taffy. You get a joke with that. And we know how amazing those jokes are, Rory. Oh, they're great. They'd be laughed at for hours. Yeah, get you to the work day, just reading <laughs> off Laffy Taffy. Now you're going to choose a popular classic. Hershey's, or no, there is no Hershey's on here. Reese's, M&M's, Butterfinger, an Oreo, Snickers, or a Twix. By the way, when I worked at Cinevate, I created a um, the pyramid of candy bars. What was top mm-hmm. tier, second tier, third tier, fourth tier. It was very controversial. And on the top of the top of it, I put the Snickers bar, which I think is the king of all candy bars. So I'm picking Snickers. By the way, if you want to see that, reach out to me. I'll send it to you. I still have it. I picked a Twix because I feel like it's a good combination between uh, is a great. cookie and a candy bar. Get the cookie crunch. Yeah. Um, the next question is choose a not so popular classic. Um, they have those little chew things i don't know what they're called you know what i'm talking about the orange and black yeah, guys. yeah yeah interesting nobody ever knows what they're called even this website doesn't know what they're called candy corn double bubble which is gum not candy uh twizzlers smarties or the candy corn pumpkins yeah i think so yeah. Dude, by the way do y'all comment on the when you go through the quiz you typically comment like i am right now yeah because yeah. double double bubbles garbage yeah, no. That is garbage candy. It's, it's in the wrong category here, yeah. but even in the gum category, it's... All right. My favorite here is probably Twizzlers, but I don't like. I don't think Twizzlers is a very good licorice. It should not have the number one tricklish, tricklish licorice brand name. I'm going to go with those orange and black guys. Awesome. Oh, I'm done. Not so popular choice. You've got the same answer as I got. Diabetes? <laughs> that says I have Diabetes. <laughs> Do you want to read off what it says? Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, you played. You did play along with me. I am an activist. That's what you got. An activist. Yes. I'm courageous, outspoken, stand up for what I believe in. You'll do whatever it takes to make it. See, I did do this during the quiz, right? Like I decided to change my answers based upon the quiz, and the quiz was so good that it recognized that and named me as an activist. Um, my ability to fight in the face of adversity is inspirational. Never let anyone dim your spirit. This nailed it. It really nailed it. Well, I think the best part is that we both have the same trick-or-treater personality. Interesting. Based yeah. on candy. Just based on our candy choices. Huh. Don't. Fascinating. And this is what you all do every week on Poll Party. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. We learn a lot about ourselves, really. <laughs> it gets kind of deep. Okay. But Excellent. Exciting. We can send it back to Poll Party, right? <laughs> yeah. If you haven't listened to Poll Party, I mean, clearly you should be listening to Poll Party because you get fun quizzes like this. Yeah. We talk unexpected. a little about uh, politics and political polls and then we do this and then, you know, we end it. Okay. Well, since Adam's gone, is there anything you want to talk about while, while Adam's not here? Um, No, I'm good. I got all my MRX news out. Okay. Well, I guess I'll try to close this. Um, 
upcoming events, Future of Insight Summit. That's December 5th and December 6th. That's in Athens, Georgia. You can go to futureofinsights.com. We've already released two um, of our special speaker series. Um, so part one and part two are up. We'll have part three out probably next week. And that's we've already kind of done a couple of interviews there. So that'll come out soon and they're excellent. But you can also reach out to us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. On Twitter, there's a lot of different ways to reach us on Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to read them all. I'm just not going to do it. But you can find us on Twitter if you want. And you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. Hope you enjoyed the, the episode. Give us some feedback to Rory and I. We'd love feedback on your favorite candy, on what you liked about the show, what you didn't like the show. And we'll talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.